this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Jake, are you ready for another therapy session? Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, there's something about not forcing ourselves to show up every week that recharges my batteries for topics that I think are incredibly important. And uh, this is one that's been like gestating in the background for a long time probably for both of us, but it relates to so much about coral appearance, coral biology, coral care, and even coral identification. I can't wait to talk about how the size of corals is everything. But first, let's check in with how our tanks are doing. Ooh, yeah. Uh, Get I a guess somber I can tone s- there, my brother. What's happening? <laughs> no, no. I mean, all is relatively well. Things are growing. Things are doing uh, all right. Uh, I, I finally, so I have two water change methods. One is the AWC right route with a, a doser, but then I also you mean the up, AWE. Oh, you're going to get on that exchange thing again. <laughs> all right. AWE. Let's um, nip it in the bud right now. If exchange. you do water change, if you do a water change, you drain some of the tank and then you fill it back up. But if you're pulling volume while you're adding volume, that's more of an exchange. So if you change 30 gallons of exchange on a 100-gallon tank, what is that, 15% though? Because you're diluting it. Yeah, I, I mean, know. there's- This conversation needs to be had. A, a 30% yeah, that's water exchange is not the same as a 30% water change. Let's get that. This people need to know. But it has benefits if it's push button and easy. Um, no, I just, um, the other thing I had set up is um, just a big old CJ pump in the same saltwater container mm-hmm. hooked up to some one inch uh, vinyl tubing and it just has enough head pressure. And then I got one of those quick disconnects with a silicone hose. So it just pops out of the wall. I can hook up a hose. Uh, it's one that Joe Berger back in the day uh, showed off, like he used it on Is that something. the quick disconnect um, medical valves that are like really small or is that the no, larger ones with two latches? With the two latches. Yeah. Um, it's got an O-ring inside. So it's cool because I can just latch that in and then I got a very flexible silicone, like the real silicone, like you see on the air, um, skimmer airlines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then just a PVC that hangs over the thing. So that way I can pull out the old Python, hook it up to the kitchen sink and do like a a deep cleaning, Mm -hmm. uh, a a true water change. So this weekend I did that and I just um, got that shallow crushed coral bed. I just went and cleaned that out a bit. Um, I've been tinkering with my lights a bit. Um, What lights are you working with? uh, The Kessel A500Xs, which I- Three of them? Yes. Using the narrow reflector. Yes, and I've got okay. them about 30 inches off the top of the tank. Well, what off the you? top of the water, sorry. Okay, so what were you doing to them? So, um, what, two things. One is uh, I was tinkering with, you know, what what does things look like if I lower them and change reflectors out? Might as well play with them a bit. Um, 
And then the other thing I was uh, tinkering with is, um, you know, I've got my par meter and everything's dialed into like levels of par that I've usually run. But man, when you set those suckers at like 100%, the tank looks so good. Mm -hmm. But par's off the charts, right? (laughs) So I'm, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about it and I've got my little 20 gallon uh, prop tank and I've been reading a lot about, you know, lighting over a natural coral reef, full daylight, not a cloudy day. And there is like a point at high noon where that reef just, a shallow reef, we're talking like, you know, Mm -hmm. 10 feet of water, just gets nailed, right? And, uh, you know, then people talk about photo inhibition, where the photosynthesis actually goes down, right? Well, there's two types of photo inhibition, right? There's dynamic and there's chronic. So, dynamic is something that the coral does on the spot as it's just like stuffed until it can, you know, clear out all its uh, byproducts of photosynthesis. And then there's chronic, which is like where the coral is like actually bleached, so yeah, it's just really important to throw that out. Dynamic inhibition is really important and necessary for corals to regulate how much energy they're getting from some from sunlight. You know, if they're driving too fast down the road, they got to slow down a little bit so they don't miss the turn. Yeah, so I um, I don't have a good light over my twenty to test this with. So I may I may, I'm, I'm kind of I may shop around a bit and just find something that's affordable, but that just puts out a ton of light for a twelve inch deep tank. I just want to experiment with a light, a photo period where sometime in that photo period, the parse is nuts, right? Like a high noon situation, but that it gradually goes up and it gradually goes down instead of like a eight hour steady, good par level. And I, I, you know, you said par level a bunch of times, but you haven't thrown out any actual values in micromoles per meter squared per second. So what kind of values are you talking about? So I haven't measured it at a hundred percent with the fixtures over my main tank, but um, I have those lights set up at fifty-five percent intensity, and I'm hitting about um, three hundred and fifty micromoles at the top, and I'm hitting about one eighty on the sand bed or substrate. And which meter are you using? The Apogee four ten. Is, is it blue? Four twenty. No, it's is black. It a blue face. No, it's black. So it's. It's. I do have some compensation for water, but I know that it's missing sub what four ten nanometers. It's not measuring the black, those. I don't. I don't know this black apogee meter. I know the yellows, and I know the blues, and I know the purple one for UV. Yeah, I mean this one has a known gap below. I think four hundred and ten nanometers, where okay. it's measuring probably thirty percent accurate on that level or something. So I know that my par is probably even higher than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a USB one. You can just plug it right into your laptop. Oh, oh okay. So you don't have the faceplate. No. Like, no the, it's, like the handheld part. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure what they're doing with the USB ones, but it's just super important if you're using the SQ200 or 500 or 510 um, to just do some research on the immersion coefficient mm-hmm. um, that you add to the actual values. Um, the blue one that was made for aquariums has the immersion coefficient uh, built in. So if you have the blue Apogee, I think that's the... The MQ or the Five, SQ510, yeah. that one is is perfectly accurate for underwater measurements. Yeah, so the Apogee software that you install, like I have on my MacBook, you can, in the menu, there's a drop down and you can add the immersion coefficient. But that said, that's that sensor, 
it has been documented that you know the the, the UV or near UV mm-hmm. stuff is not a- accurately measured with that particular unit. So my PAR is probably higher than those numbers that I just said, right? Not but if you um, use a drop down and have the immersion coefficient. And the reason I'm being a stickler about it is, is like there's there's folks who use uh, a tool, the measurement tool, without learning more about it, that they think that the number that is being reported to them is the value. But if you don't do your research, your your par could actually be thirty percent higher if you don't have that immersion coefficient factor factored in. And then you might go and set your lights to, you know, if you're growing acros, like 500 micromoles and not realizing that you're closer to like 650, you know, yeah. with the immersion coefficient factor. So that's that's why I keep like, you know, bringing that part up. I mean, my guess is I could probably get it up near 600 if I ran it at full intensity because I also like my light very white, right? So mm-hmm. I'm bringing in all that extra. Um Anyway, I, I haven't measured it yet. I'm I'm just curious because it just looked looked great. It just looked alive. I don't know how to say it. So uh, I, I thought it'd be kind of fun in a tank where I don't really care what happens to just you know go a little bit higher with the par. Push it. Yeah, Push just, it. <laughs> just for a little bit in the day, right? And if the corals are like, eh, okay, and then you know an hour or two later they go back to par levels where they're like, yeah, I'm okay. Like, I don't know. Maybe a I'm not that's a- one thing that's cool is that a lot of the, I mean, pretty much all of the controllable LED lights now have an acclimation features. Yeah. And I, I think they're too short. I mean, some of them, can, you can scent the, the, the duration, but 30 days is almost like a minimum, especially if you're trying to get anywhere over 400 micromoles apart f- over some really light hungry corals or clams. Yeah, I mean, I've heard of people that are um, hardcore about uh, carpet and enemies talking about, you know, 600 plus par, right? Really? Uh, micromoles, yeah. This is news to me that, that, that there's actually carpet and enemy people because I need to know oh, these yeah. people. <laughs> I need to find these people. I got a couple carpets. I got a couple pizzas. I need a lot more um, community when it comes to the anemone oh, game. Oh, yeah, man. Um, I don't know who these people good, are. Good discussions about that, that it's like, look, if you think SBS heads are crazy, uh, SBS freaks are crazy, like go talk to the the carpet and enemy guys, man. They're they're cranking some watts over their anemones. Okay, um, where can I find these anemone people? Because I might have to go to that group or that forum. I will. Uh, I'll send you some threads that I was reading uh, a while okay. back uh, that okay. were pretty good about it. Um, well, that's a perfect segue into. I've been talking about making my old fish quarantine system, which was used more for conditioning fish long term until I figured out where they would go. I finally, I was running the three chambers on part of the same tank, about 40 gallons of a sponge filter, man, with three bubble tips, two giant carpets, two pizzas, one Ritter eye, one Malu. We had to do 100% water changes once a week, but I was running on that, that on a, a sponge filter basically a power head that was feeding all the different chambers. And we had to do the hundred percent water changes, not for nutrients, but just whatever it is that the anemones are putting in the water that pisses each other off. And so yesterday we just 
cleaned it up. We ran some carbon on the main system just to make sure there was no traces of copper or anything, any kind of treatments. And uh, oh my goodness, the Nemes look so beautiful. I just kind of wish my rainbow red carpet and blue carpet would pick opposite corners because I don't know what it is, man. They're always next to each other. No matter if they're at the top, the bottom left, the bottom right, the front, they're always next to each other. I'm like, if you guys could just pick opposite corners, you could both be 18 inches across. Yeah. I wonder what that's about, why they keep uh, congregating. I don't know. That's I don't know, but my but my pizzas are looking really good. Really, really good. I think in a few weeks, I'm going to be very proud of, of how they're looking. I finally got the dial, the the lighting conditions dialed in, um, putting them in a higher nutrient uh, setup. And, uh, man, they are just looking juicy. Nice. Juicy. Like the showy enemies that they should be. This past uh, week... And or Friday and Saturday with Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, I took the time to visit 15 different aquarium shops over two days. I spent $2,000. Uh, a quarter of that was actually Zebra Placos for my <laughs> freshwater take because I'm just i just a junkie, man. There's a local store that just has just an amazing supply of them, and they've just been keeping them. Like they got, I think they got, uh, I don't know, a hundred or 200 zebra placos spread out through two different 40 breeders, nothing for them to hide in. And they just look amazing. And every time I go in, they're just bigger. Like, Oh my goodness. Um, but, uh, Oh, what I was going to say is I saw a pizza anemone that was just so, it wasn't really looked after the way I would like them to be looked after. And it looked like an overgrown, a slightly larger, very pale, bland-looking uh, Mini Maxi. When I asked them, hey, is that a pizza or a Mini Maxi? They said a Mini Maxi, but then I saw a Mini Maxi in the same tank just like a foot over. I'm like, oh, no, that's the pizza. And if you're not caring for it, it's just it's not going to knock your socks off. But I think um, pretty much any pizza anemone in the aquarium hobby is, is probably going to be very awesome. But, man, I got some awesome corals. I got a ton of green slimer. I got two rocks of uh, Eunicea gorinium. I'm sorry, one rock with two of them grown, like 18, 16 inches tall, went multiple branches, got the whole rock for like 40 bucks, got a big colony of uh, rainbow, rainbow tip staghorn. You might not know the name, but I know you know the coral. Um, an overgrown one of those for like 60 bucks, barely fit in a bucket. Um, a small colony of branching green samacora for like 60 bucks that someone traded in. Did you hear what I just said? $60 for a small colony of branching green samacora. And I don't know about so, you, but those were always slow growers for me. Um, they take time. They take yeah. time to settle in and establish a base. And then they're really branchy branch, branchy branch. But yeah, I got some such good stuff, man. I was super thrilled with um, the inaugural year of local fish store Saturday. Uh, it was really worth the time to go to a bunch of stuff. What's funny is I have a list of things I'm always going to need, like salt and additives and frozen food and live food. I didn't buy any of that because I bought so much coral at every shop. And I think half of it was traded in. Like I went to Aquatic Art and like five minutes before I got there, someone dropped off a bucket full, a whole bucket full of green slammer. I'm like, yes, staghorn, please. I will take all of that. Thank you very much. And then the other half was just like overlooked stuff. Like one shop had some pavona that uh, grew over some coral holders, like the aquamatic coral holders, not super 
common in America, common here, because Aquamedic USA used to be, you know, located here, very common in Europe. Um, these core holders were completely encrusted with Pavona decusata, like the common Pavona. Yeah. Made me very happy. I, I, I bought some great corals. Every week I'm like, oh, I don't need no more corals. I need to stop buying corals. I went, <laughs> went off the deep end last week. It was so much fun. Very happy with what I got. And we did a whole wrap-up video um, today that should be out same day this uh, episode goes out of all the corals that I got um, on my tour of local fish store Saturday. I saw your uh, picture on Instagram where you were in front of the uh, hammer coral at Neptune's. Mm -hmm. What's yeah. funny is like Sharon recently deconstructed that. I swear she did it like two years ago. Two years ago. It's a four by three by three tank. Two years ago, she de deconstructed this coral. She had to do it again. So the, the polyps weren't like fully out. And a few people are commenting. It's like, oh, it looks kind of pissed off. I'm like, well, it's 30-year-old coral that just went under the axe. So <laughs> give it a little bit of a break. You know how big that thing can get. Yeah. I mean, I I bought my first actual coral coral, not like some live rock hitchhiker, from Sharon in 1995. Mm. And uh, she had that hammer coral in a 120, and it took up, I believe it was a 120, but it took up the entire tank. That was the only thing pretty much in it. There was a clam, I believe, mm -hmm. and then some beastly uh, maroon clowns that were like the size of small Oscars. Swimming around. I remember those. I um, remember those, yeah. And I think she's know, gotten very proactive about fragging it down yeah. because once it grows two feet high, all you get. see is the skeleton. Well, no. Once it grows two feet high, then it's like incredibly unwieldy. Uh, like how many people do you need to pull out a coral that's two feet by 30 inches across? Like it's such a pain. And so she's she's staying on top of it to keep it at a manageable size. Yeah. And I mean, thinking about it, when I first saw it, I, I was impressed by it, but I didn't think that that was, ab I didn't know that that was an abnormal thing in the hobby, right? To have one, a wall hammer, not a branching hammer, right? Mm -hmm. Of that magnitude. Um, and it's just as time progressed and I moved out of Colorado and I, you know, been to other reef stores, like the, the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, I guess the, not the mystique, but the, just the, the reverence for that coral grew, mm -hmm. even though I wasn't in front of it. You know, I was like, man. And I remember visiting it after, you know, just on one of my Colorado visits at one point, she had it in a larger acrylic tank. Um, but I don't know. I'm sure she's changed tanks plenty of times since then. Um, it went from a four by three by three acrylic to a four by three by three glass. Okay. It might be 30 inches deep, but if she had never fragged that coral, it would be 50% bigger than a car by now. Yeah. Right. That's just and not she even would manageable. Just mix like how up much some chalk in a milk jug mm -hmm. every day and just drip it in. That was what she did. Yeah. You, know? you know what's funny is I think she's running AI Vegas on those. Do you remember the AI Vegas? <laughs> yeah. Those were out for like a minute before they realized that that was super challenging to produce. So for those that don't remember, the Vega had 20 LEDs. Each one was individually controllable. And they had a program, short-lived, where you could select what colors you wanted on each one of them. And then shortly after that, I think they merged with Ecotech Marine, and they came to their senses and like, this is super cool, but not practical and feasible. 
But I think talking about this giant coral is like the most awesome accidental segue to get into say, yeah. the, co- the the main topic of our discussion, which is the size of corals. I don't know of any other pastime or hobby where you could really expound on how much size matters. Like we I have this long list of all the things about corals that are related to the size of the coral. um, It's actually quite astounding, quite surprising. Yeah, it's um, and it's an interesting trend that it seems like in the hobby Corals are getting smaller and smaller, <laughs> at least if you're, uh, they're not actually, right? They, they grow just as big as they always have. But I think people's perception, I mean, I think we talked about generational amnesia and we're not talking about generations here, but hobbyists come and go. It's just what's become normalized mm-hmm. is a much smaller coral than, than I think uh, of days past maybe, you know? Um, I think we can uh, neatly divide this discussion into the size of corals in the wild and the size of corals in our aquariums. So, um, coral larvae, single cell, couple millimeters across. That's as small as corals get in the wild. And that allows them, they're free swimming. That allows them to just roam wherever they want. Like I've had the opportunity to actually work with spawning corals in the wild right after college. And they just look like tiny little peanuts, you know, like those circus peanuts that you mm-hmm. get, that you eat. <laughs> They're delicious. They're like that, but, you know, one sixteenth of an inch and you can see them like crawling over the rock. They're, they're just nice and yellow, looking nothing like a coral. You'd never point at that be like, oh, that's a coral. And within a few days, um, they figure out where they want to live. And then the transformation is like almost Im- immediate. It's just over a period of a few hours. They go from this free swimming single cell to be like, all right, now I, this is the rock I'm going to live on for the rest of my life. And from there, like the entire you know, catalog of coral sh- shapes and sizes and patterns and textures uh, is revealed as the coral grows larger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, you know what? It's taken 28 sessions for us to get to that level of a, an awkward pause, um, awkward silence. But man, I tell you what, when you go diving, you reset your perception of corals. And I'm not, I'm not talking about the same staghorn or table coral or tenuous that you'll just see bigger. I'm talking more about the corals that when they grow larger, you really start to appreciate what they're about. You know, certain corals that come to mind are like Pachycerus that, you know, you might have a frag, might have a couple of ridges on it. But when you see it, you know, the size of a desk or a table and it looks like just this record scroll coral or some of the branching versions that are like three feet high from a base that's five to six feet across, man, we're just not even getting close to approximating what corals are you know, destined to become if we succeed in keeping them and growing them for that long and allow them to get that large. Yeah. For me, I mean, uh, uh, you've done a lot of, um, I think diving in the Indo-Pacific, I've had some exposure to the Indian ocean and, you know, just recently, I guess, Hawaii, but, um, 
even in the Caribbean, when we talk about Acropora, right? I, I think I said it in a previous podcast about was on the, I was in the Exumas, and, and this isn't the first time I've seen this coral, but I, this particular moment just hammered it into my brain. But I was on a uh, sea kayaking with some friends, and we were just kayaking from island to island and setting up tents and camping. And, you know, obviously being a reef nerd, I brought my snorkel gear, and every island that we set up shop at, I just dove into the ocean. And these are uninhabited islands for the most part. And there was one where... On the other side of the island was where the waves just come crashing in from the Atlantic. And it's just all of the uh, old coral limestone that the island's made out of is all sharp and eroded. And I saw, like I, I leaned over the cliff and I just saw these giant orange things under the water. And I knew what it was and I dove in and it was these gigantic Acropora palmatas. Mm. And I mean, we're talking like I'm a six foot guy, right? These things were were eye level with me when I was, you know, I just submerged, pulled all the air out of my uh, out of my lungs, and I'm just essentially standing on the sand floor, and these things are as tall as me, and it just blew my mind. Like that's an Acropora, right? So um, is besides the massive corals, Acropora palmata is a tree. It grows to the size of a freaking tree. Yeah. And I've only seen one that was about 12 feet high, maybe 18 feet across. But as an aquarist, just think about how much weight that's putting on the base, right? How sheltered that coral must be, but also still have a lot of flow because it's an acro. But it just, you know, it's got a trunk essentially that is like 18 inches across to support all of that in this giant encrusting base on some very steady reef rock. And that's an outlier for sure. Acropora palmata sure, grows yeah. bigger than any others, but it's just so funny how the center of coral diversity is on the other opposite side of the world, but the biggest Acroporas are Caribbean. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's one thing I love about Acropora palmata. You know, the, most of the times you actually see Acropora palmata, it looks mostly just like a, like a table coral or yeah. like a, or like a brown efflow. But in certain environments, you'll see it. The branches are like broad, flat branches that, you know, s- split and just turn into just like this crazy, majestic cathedral of living coral. And it's unfortunate that's become a, a, a somewhat of a rare occurrence, a rare encounter anyway. Yeah, but, um, some other examples of corals in the wild that just, man, you just can't really appreciate them in captivity like you can in the wild are like giant soft corals. We've talked about huge toadstools before, giant singularias, or pectinia. Like we get these cute little cuttings, these little tiny little pectinias. And as I've been diving, I've seen colonies of pectinia the size of a room, right? Where each tier is the size of a desk with these, these, uh, um, kind of grooves that are six inches deep, you know, you could like store so much stuff in it and they're not super colorful, but they're like, unlike anything else in our aquariums, you know, they might be mostly Brown, um, but just radically different from what we experience in our home aquariums. Um, I already talked about Pachycerus, Turbinaria reniformis, the scroll, the scroll coral. Oh, yeah. That's one that will get so big that it's not even one colony anymore. It's just like overlapping thicket, you know, the size of uh, a small house 
is incredible. I think the biggest one I saw was in Palau. I think it was a German reef or German channel, I think it was called. And there was this one yellow scroll, Turbinaria reniformis. Just you couldn't see the end of it. It was incredible. Yeah, I mean, jumping back to softies, um, when um, in Mozambique, when we went diving, and it was uh, about 30 to 40 meters, so, you know, close to 100 feet. And I remember even on the first dive going down and seeing a lobophytum that was like a rug on the floor, <laughs> on the seafloor, you know? I mean, it was, um, there wasn't a lot of sand. It was a lot of like old coral structure pretty much that you were diving over. But this lobophytum was just gigantic. And I mean, mm. it, it may have had, you know, multiple attachment points as it kind of creeped outwards, but it was just one real colony, right? And it mm -hmm. was, I don't know, think about like a 10 by 10 room, you know, but just imagine the whole floor is lobophytus. just, and I remember just thinking like, you know, holy crap, you know, I just never, that, that, that's a very common beginner coral that you see in a lot of tanks. It's pretty hardy. Um, and it just amazed me also just the growth form, right? Like it's, that's the other thing is that sometimes when you see these corals in the wild, because you've never really seen one, I don't want to say grown up, but you know, at that size that the shape sort of catches you off guard too, because it's, it's just, it looks like a different coral to some degree. Now we're, we're talking about coral size and we, there's going to be a general tone yeah. of encouraging people to grow their corals larger. But I'm, we're not expecting anyone to fill their tank with a three-foot-long lobophytum. No, that'd but there's be a lot <laughs> of room between a one-inch frag and a ten-foot colony. You know, um, one thing that I keep thinking about as I'm looking at my corals and some of the larger ones, the natural aquaristic mm, reaction to corals getting larger is to frag them up, uh, or if you want more corals to get larger tanks so you can have more corals then i'm not to the point where I'd like i kind of have almost all the corals i ever want obviously there's always room but i'm starting to think like i want bigger corals so i can just grow these corals bigger <laughs> so i can just take the corals i have and grow them into just much larger more appreciable sizes and i think that's the direction the studio will go in the next few years that's the um epiphany i had at one point um where you know, I went from, I mean, I had a 55-gallon reef starting out, but then that was way too big for college, right? So, in my college apartment, I had a 29, then I had a 34. Uh, then I got my first apartment out of college, I got a 75. Uh, then I went from a 75 to a 180, uh, and I had that tank for a very long time. And then I went to a 225. And to your point, it was always this acquisition of like, I need more space because I need to get more coral. And then you just have this epiphany that it's it's sort of a fool's errand, right? It's, it never mm. ends. I mean, it's, yeah. um, was it Atticus who kept like rolling the ball up the mountain only to have mm -hmm. like, like, where do you end? Do you stop at, is the next tank I buy a 500 gallon and then a thousand gallon and then a 2000? And so, I don't know, it just, it got to be, you know, I, I've I've often joked about tanks that are science projects, you know, and 225 is not big, right? But it was getting to a point where I was like, I don't, I wouldn't want to go any bigger. And so I actually went down in size again. And I always said, well, you know, if I can just resist the desire to buy, buy, buy and consume and consume and just focus on the corals. And I had a lot of like what I call the greatest hits corals that had stories and history, some mm -hmm. from you, some, you know, 
And I, I, I wasn't willing to get rid of those to try new things. And so I just said, you know, I'm just going to grow less corals, but grow them bigger. And I'm not even talking about a reef builder studio. I'm just talking about a single household tank. And I just enjoyed it much more. Um, I've been on a bit of a spending spree with corals this time. Um, but That's a good sign. That's a good sign. That's a sign that you're engaged with your aquarium. You know, you're hobbying your hobby a little bit more. I don't know, you know, the, the frequent weekly uh, reef therapy sessions aren't hurting either. No, and I know what I do. I know myself, right? And what happens is, and, and this will happen to anybody that starts to grow out their corals and say, I just want bigger corals. Eventually, you start to get rid of colonies, right? You're like, mm -hmm. I'm keeping this one, but I'm getting rid of this one. And, you know, my local hobbyist uh, community forum, club forum, they'll see me show up like every couple of years. And I'm just like, I'm getting rid of a bunch of crap. Or, you know, like when I switch tanks, I just stick it in my backyard and... <laughs> <laughs> which sounds awful, but you know, I'm not get, talking about wildly collected corals. I'm talking about frags, but, and this will happen, right? In about two years, I'm going to say, I really like that coral, but this other coral I invested all this time in, I'm not, you know, I, I could, you know, take it or leave it, you know, I'll, I'll just give it away. So, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you have, you know, 30 frags that you're really excited about growing out, and then eventually you only have room for 10 and you start to make some decisions but you then really enjoy the maturity of your tank. Whereas in the beginning, you're enjoying a, a slightly more filled in tank when everything's still tiny. Uh, I mean, I don't really have a problem with that. You're right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one thing I do want to um, touch upon is um, about the size of corals in the wild. And strangely enough, there's like this inverse correlation between the size of wild corals and biodiversity. And this is really apparent when you're, especially when you're talking about like SBS coral reefs, where left to their own devices, it's like, I think, again, I think this is a topic. Oh, hey, kitty. Hey, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> um, left to their own devices, um, a few dominant corals will take over, will take over a spot. And so if a reef has three foot, you know, two foot size table corals, just totally covering all of the reefscape. Um, that's actually less biodiversity than having more numerous, smaller six to 12 inch colonies. You know, it's, 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 it's in some ways it's more impressive to be on a reef with corals that are two feet across and just covered end to end to end. But there's so much more biodiversity on a reef that's actually been recently reset by a cyclone or mm -hmm. coral bleaching or whatever. And all those baby corals have to come back and, and fight for space. You'll have a lot more corals per square meter when they're smaller than when they're larger. And it's just one of those fascinating things about uh, coral reef ecology that I always think about and try to relate to our own aquariums. Yeah, I mean, um, I think even in the coral phylum, you have um, pioneer species, right? So after Absolutely. that cyclone wipes out a reef, there's certain corals that show up first that are fast growers. Possible uh, more Damocornis with its free-floating larvae that go everywhere, including our tanks. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, and the, I think uh, bringing it back to captivity um, – when people are having all of these headaches and growing pains with a reef um, and, and ups and downs and seasonal issues with tanks, you know, my personal experience is you can have a hundred little corals 
But if you have 10 really big corals, those things are your are your filter. I mean, they... Oh, yes. They just, I think a lot of reefers are really coming around to that. You know, anyone who's kept a reefer about... I know. I think they have to hit that like that ten year mark of various reef tanks, and they start to realize that a large population, high density of corals is going to be more nutrient export than your skimmer or GFO or your turf scrubber could ever be. Yeah, and I'm sure you've experienced it where you take out a large colony out of a tank to make room, and all of a sudden your tank's out of whack. You know, you'll have something, you know, some weird issue will start to crop up because you just removed, you know, this huge um, consumer of nutrients. I, I, I've mm-hmm. noticed that several times. Also with clams, like you take a, I had like a 13-inch squamosa and I donated it to the Georgia Aquarium many years ago. And my 180 at that time, it took a downturn, man. I mean, it, it was fine. I didn't lose anything serious, but I could tell that I just removed that like that. The, the thing that changed was that clam was no longer mm-hmm. acting as, as a filter of sorts, right? Um, Absolutely. An exporter of nutrients. So let me hit you with a blitz of just kind of uh, wild coral trivia. Cause I'm not sure how much discussion there is here. Um, but the, the, you know, there's two different, I guess, lifestyles of corals in the wild. There's um, solitary and there's colonial and there's, you know, uh, sessile and there's free living. And so one thing that I always found fascinating is that uh, you, when you think of a colonial coral, you'd think that it would just grow, right? It would just grow forever and it yeah. just keep growing and growing and growing. But there is a few species of corals that even as a colony, they just they just grow to a certain size and that's as high, as large as we ever see them. And Favia fragum, which is, I believe is the last true Favia, taxonomically speaking, a Caribbean species, that is the smallest colonial coral. Um, when it comes to free living species, you know, nothing really touches the fungids. So we're talking about your disc corals, your plates, your long tentacle plates, um, your tongue corals and slipper corals. But there's one species we rarely see in, in the hobby. Um, Sandalolitha can get really large. Sanjay has a 15, 18 inch piece that he grew from a frag that gave him like so many years ago. Um, but the largest one is called Zup, Zupilus. Or Zupilus. I'm not sure. I'm guessing the scientists call it Zupilus. Um, those things can get like two to three feet across. Not quite in diameter at that size. They're not as round as they used to be. And um, just just fascinating to know that there's a coral that could hop around with the waves if it wanted to. Um, and that's the the Zupilus. Um, the, yeah, okay. I'm looking at pictures the, of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it just, it looks, I mean, we've seen some cool sandalolithas that are like kind of green and brown splattered. I think Live Aquaria had an orange one with red tips that they got in one time. I really want a piece of that. Um, but they're the smallest coral is called, uh, Turbinolia. And I didn't know about this coral until I visited the Smithsonian um, Museum of Natural History uh, back at Magna DC. And I spent some time with Stephen Cairns, who is the world expert on non-photosynthetic coral. So, uh, turbinolia is full grown, the size of a grain of rice. 
Could oh, you wow. imagine if you like, I've never seen a live, I'm not even sure if there's a picture of a live one, but when they trawl deep water sediments, they can pull this coral out from those sediments, you know, just sand basically. And it's the size of a grain of rice. Incredible. It looks like a tiny little tooth or something. Yes. Yeah, so tiny. And there's only like uh scanning electron micrographs of it yeah. because it's so small, you know, taking a, a macro photograph is just not really informative, but super duper cool. And it's free living. So the smallest free, the smallest coral there is, is free living and it grows to a few millimeters long and it's stony, the stony coral. Um, and then the largest coral, like this kind of varies, you know, in the Caribbean, this would be, um, Orbicella, formerly known as Montastria annularis. Um, unfortunately they have suffered a lot. You know, the Caribbean is not the healthiest of reef zones. Um, uh, Diploastria is a super cool, um, moon brain coral that's sort of common in the hobby. And it's always green with purplish lavender mouths. Always, always that same color, but in a lot of reef areas, um, they don't grow the largest, but they're more, most commonly the largest coral um, on any given reef. And they can be the size of a small car, like absolutely no problem. Really cool dome-shaped shaped coralites, and I'm very happy to have one. Um, in a lot of places, uh, parites, just boulder parites, oh, yeah. lutea, you know, easily, very commonly will be a couple feet across, just a giant ball, like no shape. Just this, just as a, a weird, um, lumpy ball. And it's, it makes really great building materials, like pre-made, uh, cinder blocks. If you live, um, you know, in the Pacific Ocean, right? They're, they're just there. But I've seen some specimens, I mean, easily 15 feet in diameter and light bluish purple, really, really awesome coral. You know, not, super fragable right if you had a frag of it probably just encrust and crust and crust and it would just take so long to get that ball shape out of it but i think i think the winner for the largest single colony is pavona various colonies of pavona i think in the northwest pacific ocean it, it goes back and forth whether it's a pavona duodeni or pavona clavis so these are massive corals not like your cactus not like um just in crossing varieties but these are like massive species um they'll get the size of like 20 to 30 feet across i don't know the exact numbers but i think they're estimated to be you know a thousand to fifteen hundred years old if not more could you imagine all the things that those corals have seen just sitting on that reef for a handful of centuries? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Those species, though, they don't really develop uh, unique traits beyond a certain size that, you know, we're missing out in um, the aquarium hobby. Um, let's see. Do I have anything else to say about wild corals? Yeah, we already talked about palmata. And so, yeah, I think we can start talking about uh, coral size um, in aquariums. Do you have any place you want to start about like coral sizes in the, in the aquarium hobby? No, I was just going to say out of all the corals you mentioned, I would love one day to see a massive colony of Pavona cactus. Um, I've seen pictures of that where it's just, mm -hmm. you know, sprawling, but, yep. um, I have that coral in my tank and I've been, I have to hack it back every once in a while. And mine's only like, 12 inches right it's not I've, i just got a frag a, a large frag um 
from a local shop recently. It's been on my list for so long and finally found a good piece that wasn't like a genetic sample size. And so, yeah, it's a very nice minty green, exact same shade as the mint chip Pavona from Ore. That's, um, so that's got to be one of the one. more rewarding corals to grow out. Not so much. I mean, it's green, right? But, Explain. Um, but why? Because you, well, like uh, the frag I got long ago, and I don't even remember who I got it from. It was just a small, like, potato chip, right? Is all I got. And then you, you, I mean, you put it on a rock, and then eventually it just encrusts and crusts and crusts. And then it just starts sending out these potato chips that grow upwards. And it's, it's beautiful. Like, there's no other coral really like it, right? Where it just sends out these flat, leafy, growth and what's great about them is like if you bump into one of them and you break one of those potato chips off and it lands on your sand bed it just starts growing again and then the other thing is i love the um um i love like if you really get i mean speaking of small corals like if you get up close and you look at the polyps on that thing it's just wild man you like it's pretty yeah, mesmerizing super up close cool texture and pattern yeah for me, Pavona cactus really stands out because the first coral ID book was um, this one, uh, Practical Guide to Corals. Uh-huh. And uh, there was a page in there about uh, cactus, Pavona cactus, which is kind of funny because this is not even Pavona cactus. This is Pavona decusata. Yeah. But it's just one of those first corals that you, you learn about um, because it's just so recognizable, so distinguishable um it's hard to confuse with anything else and it's popular with public aquariums who will plant it in a part of their reef and just let it grow and when you go to public aquariums oftentimes it's it's hardy enough and durable enough to you know live through any of their challenges they have over years and years and sometimes decades and you get to see like pretty nice colonies of pavona cactus at public aquariums but man i just i somewhere in the back of my mind i feel like somewhere somewhere in the pacific ocean not the indo-pacific because we would know by then but somewhere in the pacific ocean there has got to be like an orange one yeah the same way we have pavona maldivensis there's got to be an orange one out there but uh, i'm not sure i'm not sure but maldivensis definitely has a lot of color but um we can get back a little bit more to color to 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 coral sizes we we ran off on a little tangent just about our love for pavona cactus um, so what else do you think is missing in the aquarium hobby when it comes to coral sizes? Um, I think, so I think we have shifted our perspective, uh, on corals to that of like a camera macro lens, right? And it's funny because back in, you know, when digital cameras were starting to uh, become more, you know, consumer grade. Sony Mavica, 1.3 megapixels. Yeah. And then there was the uh, Nikon Coolpix that had the weird cool swivel. Picks. And that yes. one, uh, that, that one was, was the Coolpix 990. But yes. The 995 was the follow-up that was very popular. I always lusted after it. I never got it because I got a camera's like got simplified after that but the 995 is one i lusted over for a long time same yeah and i think it was a whole three megapixels but those cameras um they were consumer grade expensive still i i, I think not as expensive as a digital slr but they had decent macro lenses right so we had larger colonies back then but it was really cool to take these close-up pictures of 
the coralites and the polyps and everything and like post them online and we all got a kick out of that. But what I think has happened is the perspective has become so macro photography focused in this, in our perspective, right? That we're looking so close, like when people show off these hyper colorful frags, I think we're like missing the bigger picture literally of, you know, growing that coral out Absolutely. and seeing the beauty of a colony. Right. And you know what, the only thing that kills me is, um, there's a few of these vendors, you know, these old timers that are, uh, Acropora heads that have a catalog with pictures of frags. I'm like, dude, how are you going to show me the frags? I don't care what the frag looks like. <laughs> Show me what the colony looks like. Then I don't really care what you send along. As long as it's healthy and encrusted, I will do the work of putting it in stasis for about a year before I actually look at it. And then once it starts growing up, they're like, oh, okay, that's what you are. And then, that's you know, a good finally. point, actually. Because you used to see a picture of the colony and you would buy a frag of that. And mm-hmm. now all you see is the frag. You don't even know what it's going to look like as a colony. Um, you know, it's. Um, yeah. It's rude and <laughs> it's rude to charge anything north of $200. So I guess prices have come up so much. I'm just say $200. If you charge more than $200 for a frag of any acro and you don't show a picture of the colony, what the freak are you actually doing? Right. If you're charging a thousand dollars for like a genetic sample that barely qualifies as a micro fragmented frag, um, you probably have never grown that coral, right? You're just chop shopping. And that's one of the ways I think you can kind of see through some of the vendors who are really growing corals and have good mother colonies, which that's actually a point. I'm going to talk about mother colonies <laughs> um, or, you know, the folks who are just chopping things up as soon as there's just enough coralites to make a frag. Yeah. but And yeah. And that's, I feel like one is um, it's taken the focus away from the colony. And I mean, like I said, with the photography, it's um, we used to have colonies and the, the secondary additional excitement came out of having some macro shots of what that coral looked up close. So you got the mm-hmm. best of both worlds. And now it seems like it's all just frags and close-up pictures and, there's not the other part of the world of like, well, okay, let me see the whole coral. That'd be really cool. Let me to see, see what it's going to turn into, right? Yeah. When you're when you're shopping your your corals only as frags, man, a table coral and a staghorn and a tenuous and a milli, they look almost the same. It's just like a finger, right? It's a finger with a certain texture and certain colors and colored tips. I don't know what that's going to be. Right. Take, you know, maybe uh, it's a WYSIWYG frag so I can see that it's really healthy, but I'm not shopping frags. I'm shopping for what that coral is going to become. At least, no, I mean, there's no coral that I have that I don't expect to at least grow to four to six inches across. You know, I'm trying, I'm like literally looking around. I don't think there's any very few corals that are meant to stay miniature. Yeah. When I bought, I mean, I, I've, you know, I had my share of SBS and now I don't keep them as much, but, um, one coral that I just thought was pretty and I thought, ah, oh, you know what I'll add? That was a Jason Fox acro, right? A Jason Fox, Fox flame. Fox flame. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, I, I did buy that based on the frag and I, just cause it had yellow tips and I was like, well, that's kind of different. Right. 
I had no idea, and, and maybe other people's experience differs than mine, that it would grow into a tabling acro, right? Like, mm. I just didn't know. Semi-tabling. It's, it's yeah. kind of like between table and pillow-shaped. True, yeah. Um, and then I recently picked up a frag of Ice and Fire as well as the Hawkins, right? Now, I know what those grow up to be because we've kept those for a very long time. But if you were to look at the frags I got and not know... It'd be bewildering to see the ice and fire almost grow. I mean, like a good one grows very bottle brush like, right? Oh no, that's that's the archetypal like bottle brush acropora. It's right. a true acropora canada. The Chris Camp at Aquatic Arts got a beautiful colony every couple of weeks. I go in there, I'm like, hey man, next time I come in, I'm gonna frag it at. <laughs> but if you saw where I bought it from. There was no mother colony picture. And if you had a mother colony picture of an ice and fire echinata, sales would, I mean, they would sell more of those frags, right? You'd Absolutely. be like, wait, that yeah. turns into that? Like, holy, sh you know, holy well, crap. Well, now that you say that, I will make a point to make a really good shot of um, Chris's ice fire echinata. That's a really, really cool one. And then the Hawkins echinata, which is actually Acapora Turaki. Um, I have the faux Turaki I think it's Acropora LCI. I'm still waiting on uh, Chris Meckley of ACI uh, or uh, Keith uh, Reefbum, who sent a bunch to ACI. I'm still looking for a good chunk of uh, true Hawkins Echinata to, to grow up because that one's got like a, like a smooth skin bottle brush. Yeah. But you're totally right. Like as frags, they're, they're – I mean, you and I, we can tell them apart, but as a uh, – uh, a greener hobbyist, you have no idea what that's going to turn into. You can't even plan no. because nowadays everything is a picture of a frag and a mother colony is like three inches long. And you and I are like thinking that coral is basically warming up at about five to six inches long. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's starting to really come into its own. And this is, I think this is the kind of the crux of this conversation is how much, let's just, Limited to stony corals because soft corals, I mean, I, you know, they can show a lot when they're smaller, but stony corals, man, they really don't express themselves until they're an adult, right? Yeah. A, a more mature size and shape. We're not even talk about like coral breeding. You can't breed a coral or spawn one until, you know, you've had it for three or four years and it reached a certain state of maturity. But like, if you keep buying frags and you have no idea how they're going to grow up, how are you supposed to even like plan out your tank? Yeah. Right? Like some of these corals are going to be staghorns. They're going to grow really tall. So Actually, you want them lower down so you can uh, enjoy, have them like um, take advantage of all that height. You have a table coral. All right. You want to give it a lot of light, but maybe push it to the back of the tank so it's not going to start shading everything. Then your bottle brushes are going to grow every direction, right? Just like <laughs> yeah. silly string. And then your deep waters, they don't care as long as they have some, you know, some good um, indirect light and they'll gladly grow under some of those other colonies. But if we're, you know, talking about a culture of mostly frags um i mean i think there's multiple generations who are missing out on what some of these high price corals are really supposed to become i don't i don't think you've succeeded when you've turned one frag into two no you've and succeeded when you've you know grown that coral to its terminus well and um our friend Vincent, you know, said it best that some of these corals only look beautiful as frags, right? And when you look at a mother colony, it's from across the room, it's a lot more muted. And um, I'd like to know that too, right? I would be heavily disappointed to spend 
a large fortune fortune on a frag that eventually turns into a six inch colony that's kind of meh you know yeah yeah you know like some of these pillow shaped corals um just like a table coral they're not going to be colorful all across right yeah. you got a nice granulosa or i mean even some of these tenuous or milius i mean the fire is going to be at the edges yeah. Right. But if you don't really understand that, like say if you grew like a kind of normal um, Acropora, Vegetifera, you know, you're going to have those activated you know, small blue tips at the growing edge, not all over. Right. The colony is not going to turn into everything. And I'm not sure there's a right or wrong way to go grow corals. If you're growing corals, you're doing something right, first of all. You know, it's not a right or wrong yeah. way. I really want to emphasize that if you're just, you've gone through all the work, you set up the reef tank, you've collected the corals. I just saw a jet of water on one of my coral flats from the Durasa. I've got a Durasa who's got like a sneezing problem. He's, he's got allergies. He's always, I just saw this jet of water that usually makes a lot of noise. Um, but yeah, if you haven't, if you've gone through all the work to set up the tank, set up the light, set up the gear, you got your automatic mineral testing system and dosing, all, all this work, but you're not really grown out to the, the corals as much as they could be. You're missing out on so much of what that coral could be. And I feel like like I, I, I want to talk about the bonsai. Uh, I, ha I wrote down bonsai too because I hear that term world. so much. Their and whole world is trying to make little trees look like large trees. Yes, I wrote that down. <laughs> and we're not doing that. But you Some hear of people us are growing say, them oh, large. I'm bonsaiing my acros. And I'm like, you're not. It doesn't look like a miniature version of a large colony, right? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, no, that's a ahead, hot man. button topic, man. I, Go for it. I hate that term, bonsaiing my corals. I'm like, you're not. It's you're showing me a leaf, you know, of a tree. <laughs> Sorry. A leaf of a tree. No, no, you're, you you nailed it on the head right there. There's oh God, there's not that many corals that respond to bonsai style techniques the same way that trees do. Correct. You know, some of these beautiful, awesome bonsais, they take 10 to 50 to a few hundred years to be old enough to look like this parent tree that grows, you know, super huge. But um, uh, there's very few corals that are actually bonsais. They're, no, they're just actually small and mangled little <laughs> mutilated uh, shadows of what they could be for the most part. Yeah, 100%. I I, that's exactly what I was thinking about today when you uh, brought up the topic is uh, please stop using that word, right? I mean- Unless we're talking about the Garf Bonsai Acropora. Yes. So speaking that's the which, name had, of the coral. But speaking of which, I had one that I got from a local store and I put it in a tank and I used my mesoscope on it because it was looking rough and it had Tagastes, red bugs, Tagastes Acroporanus. Oh. And I was like, you know what? Instead of worrying about it, I'm going to rip it out and I'm going to throw it away. I'm just, no, I got so many corals and 600 gallons of water. My 600 gallons is actually really flat. Like there's a lot of coral in 600 gallons. And I ripped it out and I threw it away and just one little piece remained and it re-encrusted back over everything. And now it's just like right in the at that area where like the branches are erupting and it's just beautiful pink branches with bright green polyps. And uh, it looks amazing. 
looks absolutely amazing. You know, I basically discarded this coral and a genetic sample remained on the rock and grew back. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Though, but you have to give it time. It's been a year since I threw away the frag and some tiny bit remained on the rock. And over the next year or two, I'm going to be really enjoying this coral, um, you know, hitting its uh, maturity and hitting a stride and be just becoming incredibly beautiful. Well, and that's a great parallel with, um, you know, um, with the whole hobby of bonsai trees, which I know very little about, but Instagram keeps putting bonsai crap on my feed because it thinks I like bonsais. And I have to admit, I think bonsai trees are really cool to look at. So I'm maybe I stare at them long enough that the algorithm is like, oh, he digs it. He digs it. He's not scrolling. Um, but I mean, I've watched some YouTube videos about it. And I mean, they're, they're playing the long game on those trees. You know, some of those trees take 20 years to reach their potential. Yeah, and absolutely. I'm not, I'm not in it for 20 years, right? I'm going to be- I got in it. I got into it long enough to to realize that i'm just not in that place in life right now like i gotta focus on my corals yeah and i played with a few bonsais but they want that watering like every single day that's the whole point you give them a tiny little pot of water and you just gotta hit them but i learned some stuff i did learn some stuff to bring over to the aquarium hobby uh, for freshwater tanks and for saltwater tanks but that's a topic of different cons- uh, no, discussion but it's, but it's um, i don't think there's any coral again that is being uh, experiencing this, the kind of stimulus that bonsai trees experience to give you a miniature version of a large, a mature colony. No, is, but if you're going to use that term in the hobby, talk about playing the long game. And I'm not talking about like 20 years, but think about your goal being what your reef looks like a year or two from now with the corals that you're growing, right? Like that's your goal is um, not instant gratification. And and enjoy the journey, right? I mean, it's not about the destination, but um, don't be trying to, you know, chop these corals down, you know, let them grow and let them reach some level of potential, right? And be excited so about I, that. I, you know, I would like to, after, since we're talking to us about bonsai corals, yeah. you know, I've done a couple of videos recently where I'm reshaping the coral and giving it time to develop a, a thicker encrusted base because I don't want a few lanky branches coming out. I want more densely packed branches erupting from a larger base. And so that's why I've been like, like grooming my corals down. So just to kind of walk back some of the things I just said about blind eye techniques, I'm literally looking at some corals right now. I'm like, I literally cut that coral back so that it could grow thicker, so it could grow denser and more branchy because I just don't want this floppy little branch just going this one direction and not looking like the coral should. No, and I agree with that uh, part. I enjoyed the video. Uh, I don't I don't recall which coral it was, but it was a staghorn coral where – and I've been down that road where it's just like – it's almost like um, the cartoon version of a crappy Christmas tree, right? Like it's got like – one vertical and then it just has one stick going this way one stick going that way and it just doesn't look right and i was always like well okay you know i just kind of let it be but then watching you uh chop it and then re-glue it in a way to to make the growth more attractive i thought was actually very interesting and it was a eureka moment of well shoot why did i never do that right yeah um but i mean take a bolly green slimer that thing grows bonkers 
Oh, that doesn't but, need any help. <laughs> no. It doesn't need any help. But it all. grows it grows densely as it gets bigger. You know, it kind of grows into itself and it turns into yeah. this beautiful and once you get it up to about a foot to two feet in size, they're gorgeous, man. They're like a little forest and yeah. having like a hawkfish cruising through there and you know, perching in different branches is 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 beautiful. So, you know, it's in this conversation that I, I started to realize why I push back against people using heads as a unit of coral measure. First of all, if you want to get into a technical hobby that incorporates electronics, Wi-Fi, smartphone apps, chemistry, biology, ecology, you know, photosynthesis, all this stuff, don't come in here and, and rename polyps and corallites as heads. If you call a coral polyp or corallite as heads, I'm sorry, I don't care who you are, I instantly think less of you because we have specific names. We don't, we didn't come up with these. You know, the, the flesh is called the polyp. The skeleton is called the corallite. Like you want to come into this technical hobby and you want to, you want to speak the jargon, learn the jargon. Don't make it up. Okay. A head of coral for previous generations means like a head of lettuce. You wouldn't call every leaf a head of lettuce, right? For me, a head of hammer coral was like something that I could hold in both hands about the size of a head. That was a head of coral, right? But, you know, it's funny, like how quickly it went from like, oh, that's a head of torch. I'm just like, no, it's a polyp of torch. It's a core light of torch to heads of zoanthids. How is a single like quarter inch diameter polyp of zoanthid qualify as a head? I don't understand this. I, I, I push back on this. And that's because of the miniaturization of, you know, many collectors in the British Aquarium hobby. And for don't get me wrong, like there's some awesome side benefits to the miniaturization. A lot of folks can enjoy more corals in a small tank. And we all do the same thing. We all do the same thing, but don't just sit there and, and pretend to me like that you've reached the end goal. Like you're a successful reefer because you've had 30 to 40 frags alive in your 30 gallon tank for six months to a year. That to me, that is not success. If you enjoy your tank, awesome. I, like I said, I will always say this. There's lots and lots of ways to enjoy corals, reef tanks, fish, and everything that comes along with that. But when people are basically taking away what a coral head means because they don't want to say technical terms like polyp and coralite, oh man, you can tell from my tone the last uh, couple of minutes that that incenses me. I, oh, man... <laughs> this is the therapy part, right? This is the therapeutic we're, part. We're in like, our safe just space. Just like talking it out. We are in our safe space. We are talking it out. A head of coral is something you can frag from. Okay? It's not a single. Sorry. <laughs> it's it's funny though because um, until you said it, it's just become so uh, – I don't let anyone – I don't let I, I I pretend like they just said a word that doesn't exist. Anytime no, somebody says a head of coral, I'm on like a what? But it's a foot of coral. I Do gloss you over that corals? term now, and it's just it's it's like normalized. You know, no, it's no, crazy. No. 
No, because um, if we let it keep backsliding, then then corals are going to have feet, and then they're going to have hands, and then they're going to have noses, and all these other body parts that they don't have. And so I'm going to hold the line. I'll be the grumpy old guy. I don't mind being that guy. I understand. I do. I totally understand that language uh, is fluid. I really, really get that. But polyps and coralites are very specific and they're very informative. And this is not a uh, happy-go-lucky hobby. This is a intense, information-dense hobby. There's probably no other hobby in the world that requires and demands you to learn chemistry and electronics and physics and physiology and biology and ecology and geography and like how everything comes together than reef keeping. I'm sorry. I don't think there's anything as demanding at it. And I don't mind making it simpler for folks. If you don't want to learn everything, if you just want to go through the motions, grow some stuff, no problem. But if you want to, you know, be a, a hardcore reefer and you're talking about coral heads, ye, my esteem of you just went down like this. I'm just polyp is not hard to say. <laughs> polyp is not adding it to the end of coral is also not very hard to say. Just come on, guys. Speaking of which, <laughs> the last thing is like, what constitutes a mother colony? In mother our day, colony. in our day. A mother colony is something that you could frag to give you a smaller colony, right? Like you and I, when we've changed frags or got frags from folks, you know, 10 plus years ago, a mother colony produces colony. A mother colony doesn't really produce frags. That is a small colony. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, when you're, I, I guess my definition of that from a personal level was always like when your coral gets big enough that as your friends stop by, you have no hesitation lopping off a frag for them. You feel relief. Yeah. You're like, please take of, this. Of, of, of taking a small colony off your mother colony because you're increasing your water flow, decreasing your shading. You are alleviating your demands on the mineral replenishment of your tank. That's what's that's a mother colony. If, you, if it doesn't take two hands to hold it, I'm sorry, that's, that's just a large, that's just an average colony. Yeah, I've seen it. Um, I've seen uh, people selling rare mushrooms, and then um, the the mushroom that they're selling, the you know, is is so tiny that they say, okay, here's a picture of the mother, and mm -hmm. it's it's just another single polyp, just bigger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's not a that's not a. Yeah, all right, when it comes to shrooms, I, I'm happy. I mean, I'm okay it, to say slow like, growing, but well, you're f no, they're not. They're not slow growing. We know that shrooms are very fast growing. Some shrooms are slower growing, but shrooms are pests in most conditions, except our super clean, modern, brightly lit, high float aquariums. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going to go with that. But I think that you know one thing that. I, that culminates in this entire discussion about coral size and a great example that shines a light on what is wrong with smaller corals is that we inadvertently um, don't even realize how few corals are making it to us from the coral farmers, from the coral growers, simply because you need a larger coral to make it. Right. So one ex an incredible example is rewind the clock 20 years. We were always after the thin branching acropores. 
because they would grow faster and they would branch more often than the thick growing acroporas, right? If you have a colony of acropora humulus or robusta, those are thick boys. You're looking at three to eight branches a year, right? From an average aquarium sized colony. And then cutting them is more like chiseling them. Right. But if you're talking about the, the rainbow tip thin branch staghorn, man, you can like just just rain down frags on people. Right. So in the early days of coral farming, um, we looked for the super thin branching stuff because we knew it'd be a much easier to propagate because we didn't have that much to propagate. But right. now there's so many coral farmers and everybody's growing the same thing. And people aren't growing staghorns because they take up too much volume because they don't branch enough. Millie's branch like crazy. Tenuous branch like crazy. Microclidos and Lattistella branches like crazy. You know, these, these corals that are in between like table and pillow shaped, they're going to give you, I don't know, 200 frags per square foot or 200 branches per square foot, right? Compare that to a Robusta or Humilis or Jamifera or some of these thicker branching corals. And it doesn't make as much financial sense if you're trying to maximize your profits per volume to grow these thick branch corals versus the thin branch corals. And what does has what has happened is that now the aquarium hobby is being driven by the corals that are easiest to grow. It doesn't make any sense. How is a thin branching, tenuous, rare, holy grail when you can grow 200 branches per square foot? Meanwhile, your, your neon blue, purple, corn cob shaped acropora humulus that will just knock freaking socks off. But you never like, see those anymore. I have a handful. Yeah. I just grow them, but I'm not a farmer, right? Yeah. Like I just, I'm just a grower. The farmers aren't growing these right. legitimately rare corals. That's hard to grow corals because they'd be looking at 10 frags a year. But that's a frag worth the high dollar, right? Because the output that is so low. would be a frag worth the high dollar if, if coral prices actually matched economics and not <laughs> hype. Yeah, I, I agree with you in the sense that, uh, as well, that um, Acropora diversity in terms of what you can go out there and buy, just on a high level, when I look around for fun, it's gone way down from when I was, you know, an SBS nut. Um, you don't see staghorns anymore. Um, you I, I get it. I totally get it. A two by two foot table is not as productive as like 10 different tenuous and millies. Yeah. But what's but the fun in having a tank? That's so all the corals are the same shape. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're minutely different colors. If you look up real close macro photographs with the orange filter and the blue light and the, you know, saturation slider pushed all the way to the end in post, but that is not a different coral, man. And, you know, hats off to TSA. And like, uh, you know, when I did that video, of their coral farm early this year, of course looked amazing. And I couldn't help but notice there was no deep water corals. There was no stag horns. There was no tables. It was microclados, latistella, millipora, tenuous, and a few things in between. Because they could produce so many frags from smaller and fewer colonies. I get the economics of it, but reefers just this is this is why we're having this conversation, just to bring awareness to the lack of diversity across species, not within species. Yeah, and I've, I mean, the whole SPS are hard 
um, and they're they're the you know the orchids of the reef keeping hobby, and they're challenging whatever. That I mean, I'm not saying they're easy, but that made a lot more sense when you were looping in all those other corals that we're just talking about, all those different acroporas, right? I remember like seeing a guy setting up a 180 with uh, back in the halide days with Iwasaki's, right? And he had mm. two Carlson surge devices and he had those big, thick humulus and these big staghorns, you know, in this tank. And I mean, he was chasing light and flow like there was no tomorrow, right? But, you know, those kind of corals love that, right? And um, I, I don't know. It's just that's what made Acropora so... Uh, mystical to me you know like that's what made them so cool and now they're just yeah they're just another coral to grow and they grow fine under you know decent par leds and you, you know we've got flow figured out pretty good these days but I, to me they're not that special anymore i guess uh they're there's they're not this uh keeping a, a frag of acropora is not hard right growing it a little bit is not hard not having issues for three to five years until you yeah. can grow it to its full glory. That is a challenge. Keeping your stuff, not even like stable, like, because we all have dips in this yeah. vat or clogged lines or calcium reactor or had some issues or you ran out of CO2. Like that's not the stability I'm talking about, but just not having any episodes of uh, coral mortality for so long that you can enjoy this coral to a certain size. So, you know, recently I set up a reef tank at Ecotech Marine using all my own corals. I think two thirds of the corals were SPS corals. Day one. They're, they're, some of them are less forgiving, but they're every bit as hardy as any other coral that you put in good conditions. Why can't we have good conditions in a reef tank on day one? Yeah. Right. Sorry. I realized that's a whole nother no, <laughs> episode, but, but coming back to coral sizes, um, you know, if you really love coral, if you really love coral, get yourself a book, get yourself corals of the world or go to the corals of the world website and peruse the 300 plus species of acropora alone and see what they are shape is supposed to look like and recognize that in the wild their color is not enhanced by artificial lighting and in the wild um they're just you know they're, they're those are not the colorful specimens that are available to us in aquariums nowadays but if you just look at the shape you're like oh my god that core would just blow your freaking mind you know if you had a little group of tables next to a little group of core embossed pillow shaped acroporas next to a you know big stand of staghorns that will knock your socks off no matter what scale no what? matter what the scale uh, i'm gonna butcher this name uh Pusilopora varicosa is that right uh Aduxi is the one you're thinking about. Yeah, the big. Yeah, Aduxi is the one you're thinking about. Yeah, uh, cat's paw, the cat's, cat's paw, paw the so, Yeah, those. You know, when's the last time you saw? You do? I got of a course couple. You do. Yeah. And you know where I got it? I had to collect it myself with the Great Freaking Barrier Reef a few years ago. And I had some challenges with, with one and the other. But now that I'm getting my nutrients and my nitrates and my traces up, uh, it's pretty freaking lush. Nice. And I'm already thinking about, ooh, now you're looking so good. I got to pull you out of this one spot so I can give you even more light and even more flow. Yeah, it's like a giant Damocornis, right? I mean, it's just big. I, I wouldn't even go that far. I mean, it just looks like hands. 
Yeah. Just look like hands just, just coming up and very similar to the Isopora genus that's very close to the Acroporas. Um, so yeah, the Isopora, that's actually another one I need to add to my collection. Yeah. When we, uh, when I came to visit you in Golden this summer, um, I, you know, I've been not very passionate about SPS last few years. I've just been, um, more autopiloting corals that are easygoing and, um, but part of that, I think, was just because what I was seeing on the vendor sites and what I was, you know, seeing in person, it it just didn't remind me of the way SPS tanks used to be. And then I saw your coral flats and you had a lot of staghorns. You had, you know, humulus, uh, gemnifera. And it's I certainly flew home with the bug again, but then, you know, I have it, uh, you know, I'm like, ah, I, I just set up a tank and I can't convince my wife to go spend another several thousand dollars to set up a second tank just for SPS. But, um, but it, it's just an interesting observation that seeing those in person brought me back to what excited me about those corals. But it, this is, this is so true. You know, when it comes to the size of the corals, we're all influenced by what we've seen lately. Yeah. Right. I mean, my Paletta has been sharing some pictures of tanks from like oh, 20 years ago. God, yeah. Those are amazing, dude. Like Mike, if you're listening, first of all, thank you, brother. Second of all, uh, keep going, dude. You can never bore, you know, your Facebook friends on these, what the way reef tanks look to used to look like. They used to look like miniature reef tanks, like miniature, miniature reefs. That's why they were called mini reefs. Then you'd have all these different zones and corals growing huge and you know a little bit more balanced lighting where you can actually see what what is inside the tank and um but yeah you know the hobby has been uh, kind of streamlined and it's gone through like a bottleneck right by the producers by the hype men um and a complete detachment from what wild reefs actually look like. We're missing a little bit of that, but hopefully this discussion is going to uh, encourage some of the viewers and listeners to grow the corals a little bit bigger and to seek out some of these different corals. Anyone listening right now who's got some cool staghorn corals, man, I am looking for a basic blue tip brown Acropora Formosa. <laughs> you know, anybody's got some staghorns. That is one of those groups of corals I think I will buy every single one I come across that I don't already have. So, yeah, staghorns are, are amazing and they're, they're super um, dynamic. You know, one of the things that we've totally lost, you remember the old days, uh, metal halide staghorns used to grow thick and branch very little. Mm. And then when the fluorescent guys, they would grow the same exact staghorn strains, thinner, but way more branchier, you know, and that's some of the dynamic stuff that I don't think you're going to enjoy if you're just playing with humulus and millipora. Those are going to grow more or less the same that you know no matter what you're doing they're gonna grow a certain way but i do miss the discussions we used to have especially about staghorns of how differently they would grow not based on lighting intensity but just the lighting quality like how much of that light is coming from all over the place versus point sources yeah i mean going back to less corals but larger corals you know, maybe that's a good New Year's resolution, right? It's like, hey, for Ooh, 2022. Challenge uh, accepted. <laughs> don't buy any corals for the year 2022 and just grow what you got. And then, you know, let's see in December of 2022 how many people lasted, you know. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> Made yeah, it the no, whole I year. I, I know. I, I've never gone a year without buying coral. But, you know, uh, just like 
maybe just instead of fragging, 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 let some of those corals grow out. Let them grow yeah. into each other a little bit more. Let them grow a little bit larger than you're accustomed to. Or just focus on growth, 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 and forget about, you know, looking for that dotted line for the next frag you're going to bring to the frag show and sell for like $30, a little chunk, you know, just enjoy and try to um, encourage the development of a mature colony. You know, yeah, and I feel like a, that's where I'm at right now. You know, I, I, uh, I've always wrestled with having a frag tank because I don't really want to get in the business of having to sell corals, but I almost see the value in if you're going to have two tanks, have a frag tank for your collectoritis syndrome, mm. mm-hmm. and then have you know somewhere else in the house have that display, and that's. You know, that's your masterpiece. That's, that's your greatest hits. Yes. That's your favorite corals growing as large as they can. And, you know, you'll get into the groove of just letting them grow, grow, grow. Yeah. And one day you'll look in there and you're like, oh, my God, that coral needs a trim. Like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to collect, like, the latest coral that everybody's shouting about, you know, throw that in your frag tank. Let it grow out, you know. And just I think that is an incredibly awesome challenge. I think that is the, the challenge of next year. I love it. I'm really glad we got to chat about coral sizes because there's this literally a whole dimension of the corals you already have in your tank, no matter what they are, soft corals. Sarcophytons, Sinularia, Staghorns, Turbinaria, Postlepora, Acanthaster, just like every single one of those corals, not shrooms, because whatever, and, and zoanthus, they just, they just spread and you have more. They don't get bigger. <laughs> but those corals that get bigger, you are missing something from your reef aquarium and coral culturing experience if you were not at least attempting to uh, approach something close to a mature aquarium size, right? No, nothing is going to approach the, the, the hugeness, the scale, the grandeur of the corals you might encounter in the wild. But there, again, I said this one before, there's a lot of room between your three inch micro mini colony and, you know, 10 foot cathedrals of stony coral branches that you might encounter in the wild. Yeah. And I think it's, it actually solves a lot of problems too. You know, people worry about shading. People worry about, oh, this coral shading this coral and I can't put this here, you know. But if you really focus on growing some mature colonies, um, it, things like that become less of a factor, right? Because you're, you're, you're able to spotlight the corals that matter, the ones you care about. Um, Not to mention crowding. Yeah. Right. If you're just always collecting and you, you know, you have your, your acro frag space two inches apart, you're gonna have to deal with them in six months. You know, if you're a more casual aquarist and you just want something beautiful, like get three or four of the same frag and plant them together and let those grow out into a super colony. And I mean, you'll be so much, you will enjoy that so much more and just have less trouble, less aggression, less stinging. And you won't have to constantly get up in there and worry about like, you know, coral warfare. I just had a re- uh, a thought. Um, I know we're kind of coming near the end, but um, I think those big flat panel LEDs are popular because people want to cram corals into every nook and cranny of their tank these days, right? Because um, I, I was thinking about how point source lighting and that is, is less popular also now. The hardest thing to do, guys, it is. 
you take 20, 30 corals in a four foot tank, that's a very manageable amount. You try to pack in a hundred plus, you're not going to love those. It's like having 12 kids versus two. Your, your love will be spread out. And at the end of the day, it's still just going to be like three, five, 20 corals that you really love out of that entire batch anyway. Yeah, I agree. I, and it's just funny. It's almost like a sign of the times that the some of the lighting manufacturers are going that route. Because, I mean, if you set up a two foot by two foot cube and grow out a green slimer out of a single rock and have this amazing colony and throw some damselfish popping in out of it. Anyone who sees that tank will talk about that aquarium for the rest of their lives. And you could light that with a single pendant, right? I mean, you could just, and uh, uh, so I guess my closing remark is this, you know, I just had uh, a bunch of relatives up for Thanksgiving and a lot of them congregated in front of the reef tank and they're non-reef people. And the coral that they all would not shut up about is my brown tan leather coral that's like almost two feet wide, right? I knew you were going to say that. I mean, that's the one. I'm like, but I got a space invader frag. I just got that, you know, and they don't (laughs) care. You know, it's like, no, they're like watching that thing in the current. It's, It's not an anemone, but it has that. I mean, they were mesmerized by it. It wasn't even colorful. It's not even colorful coral, right? It's tan. But um, it just goes to show that forget the hobbyist, right? Even to the average person, that's what wows them. So anyway, that's all I got to say about that. I don't don't know a better note to end on, but, uh, you know, I think um, if you listen to this entire discussion, I think uh, you get our our message that we're encouraging all reefers to grow fewer corals larger. And I'd love to see some tanks, like some mature tanks. I mean, that would just be a breath of fresh air to see. Um, uh, Those are the pictures I right click and save and just save off for like just inspiration, you know, when I'm looking, looking at tanks and I wish I knew the owners of some of those pictures. I have a, I have a picture of a reef that I'm going to send you that I captured. It was, I think a Japanese reefer Mm -hmm. and you know, everybody, so you'll know who's, Oh, that's so-and-so's tank. But that tank, it has a turbine area. That's, I don't know, like two feet, three feet. And there's like three or four Fox faces swimming like in a harem above it. That sounds fun. I mean, I think the tank is huge. Right. But, um, I, I was looking through all my archives of photos that I've saved of just cool reef tanks. And I was like, what the, who, who was that? And I wonder if Jake knows that guy. (laughs) Anyway. Very cool. Well, Well, I think this is a really fun, productive uh, session of reef therapy number 28. I think we might crack 30 by the end of the year. I can't believe it's come. I'm I'm really glad that we're not forcing ourselves to just hit that weekly tempo and just keep our hearts in it and talk about um, discussion topics that really, um, are resonating with us right now and uh, you know you and i are both keeping our hands wet a few times a week and uh, we really love this hobby and if we're encouraging you to grow your corals bigger it's for your own good <laughs> eat your vegetables god gosh darn it so thanks to everybody for making retherapy such a fun and rewarding uh, experience for both of us to share yeah. our thoughts with you guys make sure to rate us on your favorite podcatcher if you have any comments um if you're watching this on on youtube um, go ahead and put those down below below um mark is the now official moderator of the reef therapy youtube channel so mark Ooh. it's your responsibility <laughs> i have too many other play comment sections to go uh look after but uh but yeah i hope you guys 
got some uh, some useful insight to uh, you know coral sizes in the wild and in aquariums. And um, man, we got a lot of topics lined up for you guys, and a lot of fun. Um, uh, let's just say surprises uh, lined up for you guys next year. So uh, thanks for being part of the reef therapy session, and we'll catch you guys on another one very soon. Thanks again, Jake. Thanks for my my session of therapy. <laughs> Absolutely.